Welcome to a dialogue on accountability in the digital age. A dialogue with a global multi-stakeholder community representing national and local governments, international policymakers, civil society, NGOs, the ICT industry, as well as other relevant organizations and institutes. I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today I'm delighted and foremost privileged to have a conversation with Professor Guy Berger. Guy, welcome to the program. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who do not know who Guy is, he's at, he is a director at UNESCO in Paris, the director of the Freedom of Expression and Media Development. He's also been named a global voice of press freedom. And uh, as a professor in journalism and media studies in Rhodes Island in South Africa, that's your background, South Africa. And if I may, the topic is going to be accountability in a digital media. But if I may, I very much would like to start it's a long time ago with your personal background, what you experienced as a young activist journalist. Sure, sure. Uh, actually, before I joined UNESCO 10 years ago, I was a professor and head of a journalism school at Rhodes University. Uh, not quite Rhodes Island, uh, but Rhodes University. Oh, sorry, no, my, yeah, my bad. And uh, there I, I was a professor there for about uh, 15 years. And I was previously a student there. And under the apartheid system, I uh, became uh, an activist. And uh, as a result, unfortunately, I was arrested and uh, sent to jail for two, two and a half years. Uh, so this really influenced me because I uh, was um, put in prison because I was possessing banned books. In those days, of course, there was not uh, digital media. It was all hard copy media. And I happened to have Mandela's No Easy Walk to Freedom, mm -hmm. uh, as well as some other publications. And this was enough to uh, get me sent to prison. At any rate, I was pleased ultimately to be part of a democracy and uh, where there's front press freedom. When I was at the university uh, as a, the head of this journalism school, having worked uh, Prior to that, as a journalist as an, as, and as an editor, I became very interested in the mid-1990s about the rise of the internet and what it meant for media, what it meant for journalism. And of course, in the beginning, it was really a question of how can journalists use the internet to improve their, their reporting? In other words, their gathering of information, how could they use email, databases, uh, and then ultimately, how could they publish on websites? Uh, so it was really Web 1.1. And I, I, I think it's safe to say without blowing my trumpet that uh, I, I was quite forward looking in those days. And together with a colleague, uh, we started a, a new media laboratory at the university. And we also convened a conference called the Highway Africa. Highway Africa, it still continues. It's now something like 23 years old. And Highway Africa has, uh, it became the biggest meeting of African journalists on the continent. Uh, each year, there would be up to 400, 500 African journalists talking about new technology and how it intersects with the press freedom, uh, media development, and the other challenges facing communications in Africa. 
And then uh, 10 years ago, I joined UNESCO. As you said, I was a director, I have been director for freedom of expression and media development. More recently, my title changed to focus on strategies and policies uh, for the whole of the work that UNESCO does in this field. So it includes access to information, uh, heritage, uh, digital skills, uh, part of UNESCO's work in artificial intelligence and so on, but at a strategic level and at a, a policy level. Okay, well, definitely the right person to talk to at the moment. Now, before we go into the issues today, I just want to take you back a little bit like 10, 15 years ago, and you actually mentioned that as well, that uh, once the internet was introduced and you saw what was happening, uh, you had this sense of, oh, this is actually going to help with uh, bringing more freedom, more democracy in the world. The Arabic Spring is an example of what we experienced. Uh, unfortunately, we saw it actually backfired. It did not deliver what we hoped it would do. So my question to you is, if you look at journalism, uh, the fact that we now have this digital component, um, has it helped uh, freedom of expression or has it actually uh, been det detrimental? Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> Bear with me and I'll give you a perspective that uh, has uh, evolved while I've been at UNESCO. Freedom of expression we know is for everybody. Uh, nowadays, of course, people can exercise that right to um, import, express content in a way that is public. Previously, of course, it was only those who owned or had access to media enterprises who could do that. The old, the old media. Now, what this means in a sense is that anybody who is looking to publish information to a public needs not just freedom of expression, they need press freedom. In other words, they need to be able the freedom to, to go wider than just talking in a, in a restaurant or in a family or in the street, uh, in a classroom. They, if they are reaching a public, everybody needs this press freedom. So, uh, Media freedom, press freedom, it's not about the media as institutions. It's about the ability for anybody to use institutions to reach the public. Okay, got it. Now, what we saw, as you said, with the, with the Arab Spring is that this new freedom, which ultimately uh, has been uh, whittled back, but it gave voice to people, voice to everybody. And we have seen over the years that voice is one thing, uh, but there are also different voices. So democracy is part of giving everybody a voice, but some of the voices uh, have been used against democracy. That's, that's clear, disinformation, hate speech, conspiracy theories, um, and so on. In this equation though of giving voice, it's clear that democracy is not enough to have voice. You also need rational debate and you need reliable information. And so this is why press freedom is particularly important for those who are in that business. Now, not all journalists, not all media are in the business of doing journalism. Some are doing propaganda, some are, are in the business of sensationalism, but you know, on the whole, the norms and the ideals of journalists are to produce verified information and comment and analysis in the public interest. So it's a higher standard than freedom of expression, a voluntary standard that they set. If you want to claim to be a journalist, 
you should not be involved in gossip. You should not be involved in uh, circulating misinformation, disinformation. You should be living up to these standards. And when you do that, you need press freedom, particularly because that makes you more susceptible to attack. If I'm using, if I'm an ordinary person using freedom of expression and then press freedom to uh, put out some kind of news about my, 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 what I had for lunch to the public, nobody really cares in power. Yes. But if you're a journalist, <laughs> you, use, you use the same freedom, but what you put out is inconvenient to some people and they jump on you. So it, sometimes they jump on everybody's voice, but particularly there's jumping on journalists' output, which is not just voice. It's a particular kind of, of, of voice. It's not personal voice. It's guided by certain codes of conduct and standards, and they are judged by their colleagues and by the public as to whether they live up to them. Got that. Um, now, we're now talking in the context of the Institute for Accountability in a Digital Age. Um, what do you see as the current challenges, the biggest challenges you have uh, with UNESCO with uh, preserving uh, press freedom? Uh, how, how is digital influencing uh, that uh, desire? Right. So uh, in this particular repression of journalistic expression, that we see, we have seen, you know, many, many decades, my own history, of course, uh, and of course, not just the, the imparting of information, but the access to information as well. Um, what we've seen is many people in power, not only governments, but political people in particular, they say, journalists must be responsible. Mm -hmm. Now the word responsible is vague. And what it really means is you must be responsible to our definition of what you should be doing. At UNESCO, we prefer the word accountable because when you use the word accountable, you talk more about accountable to what and to whom. Yes. And in the case of journalistic expression, you're accountable to particular standards which are laid out in codes of conduct of journalism. And to whom are you accountable? You're accountable not to governments, but you're accountable to the public and the public interest. And therefore, in journalism, uh, best practice is self-regulation, that you have peer review like press councils that will assess whether you have exceeded ethical standards that will give an opportunity to the public to, to give you redress. So that's, that's what uh, we are promoting at UNESCO, accountability like that. Now, of course, everybody, is accountable to obey the laws and human rights standards and so on. Not everybody does, but everybody is equally accountable. But to do journalism, you should have a very particular, specialized kind of accountability for that sort of expression. What happens then with the internet? And these intermediaries who, you know, this is what your institute is looking at. What is their uh, uh, obligation in terms of accountability? And indeed, as you know, there's a whole discourse about responsible AI. Again, we have issues, uh, we have to think, this word responsible doesn't really give much help or would it be better to say accountable AI? Uh, I can come back to that, but to focus on the internet companies, the, these intermediaries, which don't just, as everybody knows, they don't just mediate communications, they also 
have their own interests and their own uh, technologies and algorithms and so on, uh, which are, are, are ways in which the content is curated and modeled. Okay, I do have to point out that when we look at accountability, we look at all stakeholders involved who have a role to play to, uh, in, a, in a context of accountability. So it's not just one stakeholder. I, I do have to make that clear from our perspective. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I've spoken about those doing journalism and their accountability, and then you have each you know, individual user it's also being used <laughs> by the platforms that they use. <laughs> Everybody has accountability, governments, uh, users, uh, but the particular accountability of companies becomes very important because they are the gatekeepers, the main gatekeepers of journalism, but also of other expression. And so what is the model that um, would uh, be preferable for that kind of accountability? They're distinctive because, as I said, everybody's accountable to the law. Mm -hmm. But do you have particular accountabilities in terms of being an institution that is a gatekeeper for communications, whether you're a search engine, whether you're a social media platform, whether you're an encrypted social messaging platform, what is your accountability? So I, I certainly think that UNESCO would agree with everybody being accountable, but what is the specificity of these companies? This is the big debate, uh, of course, at the moment. So I, 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 I can elaborate a little bit more on UNESCO's point here, but perhaps you want to. Okay, no, you know, um, the big debate you actually just referred to, um, is that a warm debate or is that a harsh debate today? Uh, I'm not quite sure that that distinction you're making, just uh, yeah. tell me a bit more. Well, um, I know UNESCO is uh, also setting up frameworks to allow us yeah. to have a debate on a global level by uh, proposing the Rome principles uh, yeah. to have a debate on a global level, um, the rights-based, open, accessible, and multi-stakeholder participation. So we want to have a debate with uh, on that basis. Um, so I was just wondering, because uh, you mentioned, okay, that this is a great debate. Do you find that uh, people do find each other and are willing to collaborate and come to uh, terms and look at solutions? Or do you feel that debate in itself is a struggle? Well, it's, um, it's always about power and about uh, you know, money and uh, culture and everything else. So it's always a, a debate. And, but I think this is why it's important, this model that you mentioned, ROAM, which was agreed by the 193 yes. member states of UNESCO. So it should carry some uh, status because of that. This model, the ROAM, rights, openness, accessibility, multi-stakeholder. The key part there is the multi-stakeholder <laughs> because although it's not so fashionable anymore, Basically, if you want to reach some kind of governance of rights, you want to keep the internet relatively open so it's not a monopolized space or closed space. You want to promote accessibility, including the competencies that people need to critically use uh, digital technologies, connected technologies. You need this multi-stakeholder uh, governance. Now, there's, as everybody knows who's listening to this discussion, I'm sure, 
uh, governance covers many issues from norms down to regulations. And multi-stakeholderism in the UNESCO perspective is relevant to all of these. Of course, at the end, some people will have to take decisions and responsibility for the areas under their domain, their control. They have, they have authority over a certain area, they have responsibility and accountability for that. But that doesn't mean unilateral decision-making, doesn't mean unilaterally unilateral power. It doesn't mean unilateral policy formulation, nor does it mean unilateral evaluation of, of performance. And the only way to really try and um, prevent internet from being captured by a government or by a security ministry in the government, as opposed to a commerce ministry, or stop it being captured, you know, one space being captured by one company, search or social media. Uh, the only way to do that is to really push this multi-stakeholder particularly with civil society, academia, because these bring different perspectives. And actually they can bring rights-based perspectives. Not, not to say that they are um, uh, neutral, but certainly governments have their interests. We know that uh, companies of, of course have the interests. we know that. But the idea of this is to really mean that to try and keep in out of the space of capture. So that it can be something that begins that is representing an aggregation of interests on the whole. Um, now, to whom then is the accountability? That depends. Uh, you know, Facebook have set up their accountability for uh, content takedowns to an outsourced body. Mm -hmm. Well, what about other areas of their operations? Where is the accountability there? Obviously, some is to to states. Uh, this that's changing. This questions about their behavior and competition policy, and they'll have to account for there. There may be other things, for example, privacy, uh, they may have to account differently there. So it's, it becomes a complex thing, but in all these areas, if there's gonna be competition policy and accountability, it should be subject to multi-stakeholder participation. If there's gonna be privacy, it should be subject to multi-stakeholder participation. So this is really where I think UNESCO is coming from, because if you want the rights, you want the openness, you want the access, you have to have these inputs. Yeah, right, got that. Okay, uh, hey, one last question before uh, I let you go, Guy. Uh, you once stated, if you have freedom, but not a strong basis uh, for journalism, it's like having a half empty freedom. Uh, is the current digital technology a strong basis for journalism? It's, it's mixed. On the one hand, it gives citizen journalists, academics doing journalism, institutes doing journalism, and the media, it gives them a lot more outreach. The platforms are much bigger, and often they can escape uh, direct uh, controls. Uh, now, sometimes those controls are, are legitimate, like defamation, but yeah. often they're not, they don't meet international standards. So very good from that point of view. But of course, it all takes money to produce journalism. And there, the internet has been very bad for, for the media. As everybody knows, the media lost the competition for advertising, mm -hmm. partially because the media are not in the data gathering business in the way that big tech companies are. 
And so what we're seeing today is a real problem. Media houses are cutting back. Many are closing, particularly in developing countries, or they are being captured by those who want to own them for political reasons okay. or use government advertising. But so this is the thing. Just as journalism becomes even more important when an environment of, of misinformation and disinformation, the ability to produce it is being constrained. And there we do need policy, multi-stakeholder policy, about how to finance journalism in a way that keeps it independent and able to account to its standards, not to uh, whoever's going to be giving the money. Okay, so that's going to be the next quest. Make sure that we get sufficient funding that we still have that uh, strong independent uh, journalism and freedom of journalism uh, yeah that we keep that okay it's a it's a very important and relevant quest so uh, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and uh, you can say how net unesco is approaching this so uh, yeah i want to thank you for your time and sharing that with us so much. Thank you. It was good to exchange with you, and uh, I wish the Institute all the best in the important debates that you are hosting.